Specialty Story, session number 102. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to talk to physicians about their specialty. And in today's case, a program director about his program, anesthesiology residency program director, Dr. Ryan Matika. We talk about what he's looking for in his applicants, what he's looking for, what he has his residents look for when students are doing rotations and so much more. So we're going to dive in and find out when Dr. Matika first became interested in anesthesiology. I personally got interested in anesthesiology when I was probably a second year medical student. We had a um, one of these one of these programs where you're assigned a mentor, and my mentor through medical school happened to be a an anesthesiologist. I went into medical school not thinking about anesthesiology. Actually, I was thinking more of internal medicine, but um, uh, through my rotations, I was kind of drawn towards anesthesiology and probably started thinking about that about halfway through my third year because of that mentor. I uh, always that was <laughs> I I always hear that from people and and kind of anecdotally it's like oh yeah my my mentor exposed me to that and I I always mm-hmm. I'm always like excited about that because I think mentors are amazing but there's always a part of me that's like is this truly the specialty that you were supposed to go to right or did you just get mm-hmm. led down this path because you're a mentor I always wonder if yeah. we're doing people a disservice in some way right. yeah that's true um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure I think. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, personalities and specialty, and I think there's a, a lot of people kind of poo-poo on that idea. I don't, don't like it, but I actually think that there is a, a major element of picking your specialty based on um, the personality and that element of finding your people. Yeah. We do that a lot with anesthesiology as well as other specialties. Yeah, um, that is, is the right fit. Obviously, you know, there's a there's a certain type of personality that's better fit for a specialty than others. But I don't think any specialty has one personality. But, so you um, like those certainly. flow charts of do you like people? Do you not like people? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> do you like the dark? Do you not like the dark? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I think that's uh, there's there's a little utility in there. Probably yeah. just not as much as, you know, it's mm-hmm. obviously it's tongue in cheek, but there's some truth in it. Yeah. So what traits do you think lead to someone being a good anesthesiologist? You know, I don't know if there's like certain traits. Um, The longer I've done this and um, the more I think there's traits to being a good doctor and those those traits um, kind of um, pretty much uh, transcend the type of residency. So I think um, a, a good surgery resident, a good psychiatry resident, a good anesthesiology resident, they all have a lot of things in common, which are, um, I, I think, uh, probably more than anything else and, and often not talked about is, is kind of your attitude or just general uh, what what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? Uh, do you, you know, do you want to do good in the world? Do you want to work hard? Um, and that that type of work ethic and that 
that attitude of, of that positivity is probably not the right word, but let's just say uh, a positive um, work ethic and a positive drive, I think makes good residents. Um, for anesthesiology in general, um, you know, we're, we typically get, um, we're kind of meticulous, we're a little bit OCD, um, but I don't think that's necessarily um, absolutely necessary, but you'll see a lot of OCD type of, you know, in a jokingly OCD behaviors among anesthesiologists doing everything the exact same way every single time. So, so, um, you know, nothing gets missed or, or we don't have any, um, unnecessary errors. I'll, I'll take that, uh, from yeah. my anesthesiologist and my pilot. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so let's let's uh, kind of break down some anesthesiology myths before we go any further. I think sure. uh, a lot of students have this idea that an anesthesiologist puts the patient to sleep, opens up solitaire, and then when the surgeon says, "Okay, wake the patient up," that's that's what you do. What what is an anesthesiologist doing? Uh, for the most part during the day, whether they're well, any doing self-respecting procedures. Self-respecting anesthesiologists will do a crossword puzzle and not solitaire <laughs> to begin. But um, uh, so for for anesthesiology, I think um, that is a, a, a misconception. And, and part of, I guess, there's there's a show to it. I think any specialty has a show to it. And in anesthesiology, um, you're, you're always a consultant. Patients don't come to see you and, and your services are requested by surgeons and such. And, and part of the show is looking calm and, and um, you know, not trying to blow things out of proportion and, and keeping, um, keeping an even keel. And that's something that I think um, gets misrepresented by the, you know, make, making it look easy, I think, is part of the specialty. But what an anesthesiologist is doing is obviously one of the most important things is delivering the anesthetic that is essentially uh, rendering someone in a medically induced coma uh, to tolerate surgery. But also during that time, you're managing the patient's physiology. Most importantly, the uh, cardio, cardio and pulmonary physiology, meaning that um, we, we render people apneic, we give them medications that make them very hypotensive, put them into all kinds of cardiovascular um, uh, uh, difficulties that you have to manage them through. So um, the anesthetics we give, I think the easiest way to think of it is necessary poisons. And the management that we do is is try to offset those poisons in a healthy patient and an unhealthy patient with chronic or significant or uncompensated disease. It's um, even more more tricky. But a lot of our job, the things that we're thinking of, I'd say the majority of the time we're thinking of things uh, to do with physiology and vitals and and such, and a little bit less than one might think that we're thinking about um, ensuring that the patient's under a uh, um, a medically induced coma because because that's actually you know we've got good data of how to do that and 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 to ensure that they are asleep throughout the surgery but a lot of your time and focus is is based on on the physiology okay so let's talk about the actual residency journey so an incoming medical student or incoming uh, intern at this point what does the the training path look like at the beginning to the end of residency I see. So the first year is, um, there's two types of programs. There's a categorical program, and then there are um, advanced programs. In the good old days, almost everything was advanced, and then categorical has gotten more popular. The difference is, is how you treat that first year, that intern year. 
um, about 75% of the spots right now are categorical means that when you match with an anesthesiology program, you're doing a four-year program, but that first year is essentially mostly off-service rotations uh, to, to meet the qualifications of your intern year, which is essentially not technically, but essentially either a medicine year or a surgery year. An advanced year is a year where you match those two, um, those two years separately. So you have your intern year where you will um, either match usually into a medicine transitional or surgical year, and then you will start your formal anesthesiology three-year training afterwards. So during those three years, your, your, um, your first year, I, I call it uh, getting your sea legs. It's kind of doing the same sort of cases over and over again. You do more simplicity, a lot of airway work. Um, you're getting your, your, basic, your basic skills that you need for anesthesiology. During the latter half of your residency, you're doing subspecialties, much sicker patients, um, and um, you know cardiac cases and, and OB and, and such. And so um, through each program has a slightly different different way of doing that, but essentially there's a lot more similar than there are differences. And so after four years, you've um, met all of your requirements and then you can sit for your, your final written boards. For someone who is looking at anesthesiology because they, they like the lifestyle, they like the operating room, but they're just unsure of their manual dexterity for procedures, what, mm-hmm. what would you say to him or her? I would say by far the most important thing that you have as an anesthesiologist is your mind. And it's, um, you know, the cerebral side of it is the hard part. The procedural side, um, anybody uh, with two hands, we can train to do the procedures. You know, it's, it's one of these things where, where there are people that are just more talented with hands, but you, you do the same thing over and over and over again, you'll get it. I've never seen a resident not complete training because of a procedural aspect. Our problems with residents are going to either come in in 90% of the cases, either with medical knowledge or professionalism. And uh, as far as I've been part of, 0% with procedures. There are certainly some people who are better um, sooner than others, but everybody will, will get there. Now, you're the program director for uh, an anesthesiology residency program. You're the one making the decision who's coming, who's not coming. Correct. When applications start landing on your desk, what is piquing your interest? What is turning you away from applications? I see. Um, I think there's, there's lots, of, lots of variables, and I can speak for myself, and I can kind of speak for, for in general. Um, because this is something that's been discussed quite a bit, um, you know, with with our with our meetings and such. Um, I think one thing that's really changed the way that a lot of people have maybe not changed significantly, but changed somewhat the way that you you think about applicants is we have a basic exam, which is part of the American Board of Anesthesiology, and it's done during your PGY at the end of your PGY two year. You need to pass this exam to be able to complete your residency, and nobody wants to hire a resident and have to fire them because they can't pass an exam. So um, first and foremost, like just about every specialty, we always look at your USMLE scores. 
those scores, um, you know, essentially tell you how good you are at studying and passing an exam. And so many programs will have a certain idea or a certain average score that they're looking at. And um, if you have a lower score than that, there'll be, you'll, you'll have to make it up with different qualities. Um, but that certainly is the, the first, first one that we look at. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, I'm a little bit more pragmatic than, than maybe your average person, but not necessarily your average anesthesiologist. And so I look a lot at the, um, the Dean's letter, um, which is essentially your medical school transcripts, uh, the comments made, the grades that you had, especially on your clerkships. Um, you know, all the clerkships are important, but certainly we look maybe just a little carefully, more carefully at your medicine and surgery. Um, those are, those are things that, that, um, I think, uh, a, a strong rotations clinically, um, and doing well kind of offset that one single exam. And that's something that's fairly, fairly important. Uh, letters of recommendation are always nice. Again, most people have positive letters of recommendation, and there's um, uh, different interviewers where put various um, uh, levels of strength on that. Um, I think that's a little bit less important than those other two. Um, I think another thing that's sometimes underestimated is for me at least, I like to see medical students that are volunteering, getting involved, getting involved with uh, different activities at their medical school or local communities. I think that's important. I also think that shows a little bit of character as well as not only character, but you know, when you take your grades and your scores and all that into into account, well, how how busy were you? What were you doing? You know, during your medical school time beyond just studying and, and thinking about, um, thinking about, you know, getting the best grade possible. And I think that's, um, uh, something really important. Research is kind of, um, the same thing, you know, again, not necessary, but you know, it's, it's, um, if you're doing research or, or involved in projects, you know, I certainly take that into account when I'm looking at grades and, and scores. And I think that all means something. It doesn't necessarily overcome a bad score or a bad grade, but I think um, um, it's really hard to have bad scores, bad grades, no research, no volunteerism. That's that's something that's really going to be hard to justify. <laughs> those those are typically the students who are still applying to neurosurgery because that's all they've wanted to do, and <laughs> they're just like, I'm, exactly. I'm going to keep going. Oh man, exactly. I, yep. I think the the medical student or even the pre med student listening to this who hasn't really done a lot of research into what it's like to be a resident or or apply mm-hmm. for residencies, freaking out. They're like, it's just like applying to medical school. I need letters of recommendations. I need to be volunteering. I need to do well yeah. on my my tests. And so it's just a lot of the same stuff. I think the volunteering and such it's it's um it's pretty easy to do. And I'm not you know I'm not not getting not trying to stress anyone out i suppose but i think you know there's free clinics and there's all kinds of things that you can do as a medical student and we all know um that the 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 really engaged medical students are sending out emails trying to get people to help them and and to have not done anything you're kind of avoiding (laughs) avoiding a lot of opportunities and i think you know there's there's no test there's no single test are you going to be a good resident are you going to be a good team player 
Um, but you know, these things are just little inferences. What is the the kind of push to make USMLE a pass fail test and a big um, kind of trend among medical schools to to market themselves and become more favorable to students is to be pass fail medical schools? How is that affecting, or how will that affect your ability to evaluate students? I think it makes it more challenging. It's certainly a disservice to those students that have um, really put a lot of effort in to their schoolwork and put a lot of effort into, um, into, you know, their exams. Um, it's certainly a, a disadvantage in that respect. The medical schools probably, I don't know a percentage, but a large percentage of them have already gone to not, the, not giving you a class rank, um, going for mostly pass fail, um, which has the opposite effect is what they were going for, because then you're left with one thing, which is one number to tell you um, their academic um, abilities, which is this one score on one day. And it's almost had the opposite effect instead of a positive effect, in my estimation. Um, making the USMLEs into a pass-fail, you know, it's, it's fine, but now we're going to have to um, put more emphasis on on different factors. Um, you know, do, do, if they still have grades on their clerkships, you can kind of infer there. Um, but it's certainly, as a program director, we want more information, not less, not only, you know, just so we can, um, not only so we can select the, the, the residents that we think will be most successful, but also, frankly, not for people to waste time. The uh, board exam process is very challenging. It's very difficult. We have a four exam process. It is um, not something to be taken lightly. Um, it's very unlikely for you to pass through your anesthesiology boards if you really can't get through your USMLEs or barely get through them. And it's it's I don't think it's really fair to the uh, to the applicant either. Yeah. So um, that that's my take. It's not not what. A lot of people want to hear, but that's what I what I think is um, the truth. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but yeah. um, for a student, a third year student trying to figure out what to do fourth year, they're interested in anesthesiology and they're looking at and they're finding out about these things called away rotations. Is that something you as a program director, you encourage students to do? Is that something where you see students often mess up and they should avoid it? What, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on away rotations? I've, um, I've done these, um, you know, these, these little round table events with our medical school uh, or our medical students here at the university of Arizona. And, you know, I've always participated and we've had all the PDs from different specialties and I'm usually one of the few that think that um, away rotations aren't much help. So I will preface and say that the majority of PDs, although they were not anesthesiologists, do recommend away rotations. I personally think an away rotation only helps you at the program you are interviewing at and really doesn't lend much um, uh, it doesn't really help much when you're going off on your interviews. So I think if there's a program you're really interested in, or if you have a, a place to stay, you got family, a great friend or something like that, that's totally fine. But I, you know, with medical school debt and the, um, 
and the financial um, uh, the financial concerns that we have in medicine, I just don't think that the, the cost of it to go somewhere um, and rotate really pays the dividends unless you're just your heart's set in one one location or one place, then I think it makes sense. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add one piece of information that just randomly popped in my mind. I, I've never really mm-hmm. thought about it this way before, but um, I, I, I find, and part of the reason why I have this podcast in general is to give students a broader exposure to, to medicine and to specialties that they wouldn't get at their home institution. And I, sure. I think if, if someone comes into medical school and they're like, I've always wanted to be an anesthesiologist. And then the anesthesia program at, at their school, at their institution is pretty toxic. And they're like, well, I guess mm-hmm. I don't want to be an anesthesiologist. And yeah. away rotation might give them an idea of what else it, it's supposed to look like or, or a different anesthesiology sure. programs. No, that's, that's totally true and, and totally fair. I think there's a lot of advantages to going, um, on an away rotation, but when my when my medical students come to me and and ask how important is this, yeah. um, and the and the deans and other PDs and other specialties are telling them it's it's sometimes important, sometimes critical. I I just have a a, a different opinion with them on that subject. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I wouldn't get stressed out if if you can't afford to do it or don't really. You know, uh, the medical students with kids and families and such. I wouldn't make. I wouldn't get too stressed out if 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 you can. I think there's a lot of utility. It's nice to see um, other programs. Uh, it's a nice way to know the good, the bad, the ugly. But um, ultimately, I don't think it's. Um, I don't. I wouldn't get too worked up over it. Yeah. If good. you can't make it. For the osteopathic medical student listening to this, wanting to be an anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. what would you say to him or her in regards to applying to a program like yours? I would say that um, the osteopathic um, medical students have um, have been increasingly uh, more successful in getting anesthesiology spots over the last 10, 15 years than, than previously. I think that... Um, you know that you can you can you know infer a million reasons why that might be, but um, that's that seems to be the trend in and places that previously you wouldn't see um, DOs. They're now um, uh, getting spots there, so I don't think DO necessarily is a big disadvantage like it was. There certainly is an element that when you go to an osteopathic medical school, it is more difficult in general to get a residency spot than an allopathic spot. That's um, without, I, I think, without question, but um, it's, it's not much harder. You know, I think that our DOs at our program typically have a little bit higher board scores than the allopathic residents in general. But um, that's about the only the only difference, and it's a pretty minor difference. So I think that um, um, it's it's I haven't really seen that as being a huge disadvantage, maybe a mild disadvantage. When a student is doing a rotation, whether it's their home institution or an away rotation with you, what are you looking for uh, for them to be doing to to really? have an eye on them to go, this, this is a good student and will make a good anesthesiologist. 
Well, I can tell you the the thing that I'm not looking at is how well they put a breathing tube in. Um, <laughs> you know, the, when the medical students come and they can't intubate, um, you know, they're thinking to themselves, "Oh my God, I just I just messed it up!" And in front of the PD, it's like that is the least important characteristic that I'm uh, that I'm looking for right now because I I have not found a single resident that I have not made into an airway expert quite quickly. And so that is not, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, what, what I rely a lot on the residents, the residents are in the, in the room with them. I like my residents. I want more residents, just like the residents I have. I want their in, in, interpretation of, of how they thought they did. Um, most notably, um, a lot to do with, um, work ethic, personality, um, you know, we, we have a, we have a specialty where personality is quite important. Um, and so, um, you know, again, as, as consultants, we have to work with other doctors and we have to have professionalism and, and such. And, and so I think all of these things are, are, are qualities that we look for. Um, I think just, just how well you kind of fit in with us as, as something to say, and, you know, anesthesiologists aren't the most gregarious people or mostly maybe not mostly, but plenty of us introverts among the, among the group. And so, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, make small talk or, or be the most likable person in the world. I think, I think just there's a general gestalt that, that, um, we look for, and it's hard to describe in, in a single word, but, or even a sentence, but I think, uh, helping out, wanting to know more, asking questions um why is this why is that how's this how's that and um just keep on uh a lifelong learner as they say is extremely important for any specialty nowadays and um you know just 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 um always asking your resident and, and your attending um what they're doing why they're doing it um and i think another thing that can't be um discredited is following directions um, uh, one of the issues you get into with any procedural um, specialty, it's it's more important to follow directions or to say, okay, let me let me take over, let me do the procedure now, um, than to try to keep going and impress somebody because you can, because probably you're going to end up doing more damage um, to the patient as well as your as well as your application than just following directions. Because again, I think the um, the procedural skills are um, are over emphasized by applicants than they are by their faculty yeah so you're not you're not having the students suit your swiss cheese <laughs> no i don't think that's necessary although you know i think there is certainly um there, there's certainly something to be said for for practicing and and you know going and and playing with the dummies and and doing extra procedures to get comfortable but um and dummies isn't see, what you call your residents right no, no, usually not. No, no, no. Um, uh, but uh, that's what they call me sometimes. But, um, <laughs> but the uh, the um, you know, I think when residents first start, um, you know, they they're very uncomfortable with some of the procedures, and they just feel like they've got two left hands, and they'll you know try to spend extra time in a sim lab or something like that. But again, you know, I even tell them, don't worry, this is normal. You'll 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 get the hang of it. But um, so I don't want the medical students to worry about the procedural aspect if they really don't enjoy the procedures and if they really, you know, they just dread the procedures. 
again, that's a nice thing to know that this isn't a great fit for you. Um, but um, you should enjoy it, but you don't necessarily have to be good at it, at yeah. least not yet. Not yet. Yeah. When you're looking at applications, personal statements typically one of the the parts of the application. What's something that that students often put in an, a personal statement that you're like, I wish they wouldn't talk about this anymore. And what's something potentially that a lot of students miss out on an opportunity mm, in a personal that's statement? That's a good question. I don't know if I have a great answer for that. That's all right. Um, I think a um, as, as far as putting in, I think you know when you read as many personal statements as we do. Um, you start to see certain trends of personal statements. They usually take on uh, different flavors. You know, there's the, the classic why I like anesthesia. There's the ones, um, you know, my personal experience, which drew me to anesthesiology, um, those kinds of things. Um, I think the most important thing for a personal statement outside of the, the why and, and tell me a little bit about your character and yourself um, is explaining any kind of deficiency in your application. Um, let's say that you did have that really poor step one score or you even failed it. This is where I really need you to explain what was going on um, in, in the greater context. And so that needs to be explained and acknowledged in the um, personal statement. And when that isn't, um, you know, your, your selection committee has to be so curious about you with a with a deficiency that they want to bring you all the way out to, to ask you the question instead of it being answered in a personal statement. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I think the personal statement is a, is really a nice place to, to showcase your personality and what, what makes you tick. Um, these things are, 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 are nice, um, to know. Are they, are they absolutely crucial? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that a great personal statement really makes up for, a, a trouble on the application but a bad personal statement could um, raise a few eyebrows and lose you a few interviews and bad personal statements are going to be uh, things that are are too negative too down and out or you know they always talk about you come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed <laughs> at the beginning of residency and you leave um you know embittered a little bit and that's you know that's just the that's there's some truth to that but um yep. I, when you're coming in, when you're coming in um, with that kind of um, statement, it's it's kind of hard to to think that you know you're going to stay positive and motivated throughout your entire residency. Yeah, but you don't see that much. Most people uh, bring a pretty formulaic approach to it, um, and that's that's fine. You know, that's not what we want, but that's totally fine, and I completely understand it. Yeah. Let's talk about what's the. Um kind of the day-to-day life looks like in an anesthesiology resident's life? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, when you're on your medical student rotation in anesthesiology, it's, it's, um, you're getting a little piece of it. And the classic anesthesia medical student rotation is you come in early, but you leave early. Um, The residency is not going to be that. You're going to come in early and you're going to stay late. And um, it's, it's, it's long hours. So what you do as a resident and actually as an attending, especially if you're doing your own cases, you come in early in the morning. Usually, uh, if you're a resident, um, you're going to come in and probably give yourself anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes to set up for your case, meaning getting all the medications ready, getting all the monitors ready. 
uh, getting the equipment um, prepared. And um, if you have morning didactics or something like that, that's going to just drive you even earlier. Um, and you're going to do that before your um, morning lectures. Um, from there, you're going to go see your patient, your first patient of the morning. Um, this patient has been posted for us. It's all online. I'm sure that's just pretty much the way everything is now. And you can look up the patient the day before. Chances are you discuss this with your, with your supervising attending and you have a plan and you go in and, and you see uh, the patient and you, and you ensure that, that um, they're ready for surgery and they're, they're optimized to a, to, to a fashion that's acceptable. Um, get their IV in, depending on your institution, and um, and when the room is ready and and it's time to go back, you're going to take that first patient back. And um, depending on which year you are, or what rotation you are, um, if it's a cardiac case or something like that, the setup is far longer. The um, the pre evaluation is more. Uh, there's there's a lot more to it, and. Um, and that's that's how your day begins. Throughout the day, you're going to be doing a variety of cases if you're in the operating room um, or even uh, uh, doing anesthesiology um, outside the operating room. You're going to be doing a, a lot of cases. And and um, what what that means, it's 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 um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to stay vigilant. It's a lot of work to get the cases going. Um, you know, they talk about taking off and landing. Um, you know, and so you're going to be doing that for, for each patient. Um, and each patient needs an individualized anesthetic plan. Um, it's usually, um, certainly a resident, uh, can't get too comfortable with, with their, their knowledge and their plan and they need to really individualize things. And if you're at a tertiary care center, which most residencies are, you're going to have some very complex patients and, and each patient needs a careful evaluation. Um, and for the, the level of a resident, that needs to be done usually the night before. And so they have time to prepare research and um, think about what their plan is going to be. Because again, you know, the, the simplest part of it is, is the um, how am I going to keep them asleep? And the most difficult part of it is how am I going to keep them safe throughout the surgery? And so that's what we want our residents to be thinking about. What does call look like? Calls vary greatly among residencies, um, but calls can be specific to a rotation or it can be um, uh, just a general pool for for different services. Um, For our program and probably most programs, we have different rotations have different calls are calls for the OR, meaning that you're kind of in the general pool doing the general trauma call, which is trauma as well as any emergency cases overnight. Um, That's going to be usually residents will do one of those one to two nights a week. And um, they usually have one to two weekend nights a week. They will be on call. On average, I'd say most of the time, it's probably two weekends, you're going to be on some kind of call. And uh, about two weekdays, you're going to be on some kind of um, uh, of call. And that's, I think, fairly typical among anesthesiology programs and, and, and residencies. 
For the medical student listening to this who maybe didn't do stellar on their boards and is questioning whether or not they can still be an anesthesiologist, which has been their dream since day one, mm-hmm. what would you say to him or her? Um, there are a lot of spots. Anesthesiology, um, fortunately for the um, applicant that has had trouble on the boards, there are a lot of spots. Um, there's, I think, I can't remember, 14, 1500 spots in the country per year. Uh, I could be misquoting, but I don't think I'm that far off. And so your chances aren't bad, even um, if you have some, some issues. At the same time, once you start getting too low, and I don't really have a number for you, um, I start getting concerned when, when students come to me with a, with a score of, let's say, 210 and below, and I'm like, hey, you, you might want to up, double apply to two different specialties. Um, but I've, I've told residents that before, and they've had no trouble going to absolute stellar top programs. So, you know, it's one of these things that are, that are, are kind of hard to predict. Um, but I would say that, um, in general, um, the, uh, the applicant with the lower board score, I really want you concentrating really hard on your rotations and your clinical rotations. Um, I want you to make that your priority. And the other thing, you need to take a month off after, after your third year is over and really dedicate yourself to that step two. Because, um, you know, a, a low step, a higher, a much higher step two and a low step one, um, you know, that's, that's not a problem for us. Uh, two, two low step scores, you really get concerned about them getting through the board certification process. And just to give you some more information about every residency in, in the United States, they're all held to the ACGME and their expectations for board's pass rates. And they kind of change what they want every, every so often. And so it's kind of hard what, they're, what they want. But one thing that we, we, we strive for is, I think the, the last thing that I heard is that they're going to be looking at the 80% of first-time advanced board exam taking. This kind of changes. Sometimes they're asking you, what's your, what's your five-year board certification rate, this, that, the other? And I could just be a little bit off with the latest information. But essentially, we need, um, we need residents that we know they're going to pass the boards, and that's an unfortunate situation for someone with a, with a low score. If possible, I really think it's important to try to get some face time with someone like myself, some program director, or someone in, involved in selection committee that has a little more, um, a little more experience in seeing uh, residents like you or medical students like you applying the process and seeing what how it went. Um, and barring that, um, I think the the best thing to do is is really try hard on your on your step scores make sure you're doing the volunteerism and, and stuff like that but there's not an amount of research that's going to overcome um overcome this so instead of volunteering for too much stuff spreading yourself too thin i really want you to concentrate on that third year and 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 work really hard and and be a good clinician all right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Ryan Matika, an anesthesiologist now. He's been out of training now for nine years. And again, now the residency program director of an anesthesiology program in Arizona. I hope this helped kind of shine some light onto how a program director is evaluating applications, how they are evaluating you when you are doing rotations and much more. 
So my goal here is to try to provide as much transparency as possible, as much guidance as possible for you so that when you are applying for your residencies, you are putting your best foot forward. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.